Well, good morning, Family Church. Some of you may be wondering where Pastor Terry is and where he's been um, the past couple of days. He's actually in Washington, D.C. right now. He's at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and uh, we had the incredible opportunity to take advantage of something that very few pastors get to take advantage of. Um, he's there with Pastor TJ, and they're both undergoing a kind of intensive training at Capitol Hill Baptist Church with Senior Pastor Mark Dever. And this is a phenomenal church located right there in the Capitol. You can see all of the uh, incredible things that Washington, D.C. has to offer from the front door of this church. But this church, in the midst of everything going on there, is steadfast in the Word of God. They're uncompromising. And so they're going through everything from how to run business meetings to deacons meetings to um, effective times of prayer to worship to how we do staff meetings to preparing messages. And so we just would um, ask for you to pray for them during this time. They're sitting right there in the church right now. And so um, I also ask for you to just pray for this word this morning that it may penetrate your hearts, may speak to you, and it may change us forever. So would you join me with prayer? God, we do praise you for who you are. God, we pray a special um, blessing on Terry and TJ with where they're at right now in Washington, D.C. and at this church. God, we pray that you may bring them home safely. God, may they um, just have an abundance of knowledge given to you or given to them by you. And um, God, we just praise you for who you are. God, we also just pray that you may come into this service. May you speak to us today. May you fill me with the words that you want me to say. God, we praise you that uh, we have your word, we have truth, and we're going to hear truth this morning from your word. Um, God, we thank you that you are truth. May you have uh, just your way in our hearts and our minds this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, um, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 3, continuing on. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. Philippians chapter 3, I want to give a short recap on the previous verses that Pastor Terry um, preached last week because they ended on a pause. And if you notice in your Bibles, they have a dash there at the end of verse 3. And he goes on and he says this, beginning in chapter 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And then he goes on to warn them, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And then he leaves it with a dash before he goes into this next portion where he almost 180 degrees goes into a different direction. He says, he ends that, we put no confidence in our flesh. What the Bible means by flesh in the things we can do on our own without the Spirit of God. We put no confidence in that. These are a couple of quick jabs that Paul is giving to his opponents, intellectually and spiritually speaking. And so he's doing this for his audience. He knows it's not going to change their perspective, but he's doing this. A couple of quick jabs. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, though, he ends with a dash, he goes on, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Then he gives a list here, beginning in verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, I was under the law, Paul says, blameless. 
Paul understood their natural tendency and our natural tendency. And that natural tendency is the same today as it was thousands of years ago. We want to find worth in ourselves and the things we can do on our own. Paul thought he had it all together. He thought he had it all together. What he was saying to this group of individuals was, listen, I know you think you have it all together, but I had it all together more than you did. And no one could surpass Paul's record. And then he goes on to say, basically in theological terms, I've been there, done that, and this is what it did to me. And he goes on through the rest of the passage. He says in verse 5, he gives a list of his credentials, if you'd follow along. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day. He was circumcised when he was eight days old, just as the law of Moses required in the Old Testament. I have seven things that I want to give you, and if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these down. These are seven things that salvation has nothing to do with, and Paul lists them out here. So number one, we see circumcision on the eighth day. Salvation, number one, is not by a ritual. Salvation, your salvation in Jesus Christ, is not by a ritual. It's not by a certain prayer you might have prayed or raising your hand at one point in your life or when you were baptized as a baby or even baptized as an adult. It has nothing to do with a ritual. And so if you're trusting in a ritual, Paul says it's worthless. Continuing on, verse 5, he's of the nation of Israel. This points us to this. Salvation is not by race. Salvation is not by race. It's not about your race, your color, or your lineage. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Salvation is open to all. Continuing on, he says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Salvation is not by rank. It's not about where you are in life. It's not about your job title. It's not about how wealthy you are or your class. He goes on to say, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Basically, he's saying a Hebrew beyond question. This leads us to this. Salvation is not by tradition. Your salvation in Christ is not based on tradition. There are no traditions, which is very steeped in religion today. You ask, why do you do this? You might be asking somebody who does a certain thing. Well, we've always done it that way. Or it happened a long time ago, and this is what we just continue to do to honor that tradition. In many denominations and religions, they consider tradition on par with this. Do we know this? There's so many denominations that they say our tradition and the scriptures have equal authority. That is a false statement. There is nothing that has equal authority except the word of God. And so don't let anyone tell you that tradition in their denomination or their church is equal to the authority of the word of God. We as Christians have access to every spiritual blessing. So there are no traditions that can bring us any closer to Christ than we already are at this moment. Continuing on, he says in verse 5, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. He said, in addition to these things, Paul had become a member of the Pharisees who were known for their high regard for the law of Moses. Salvation is not by religion. Salvation is not by religion. Another point I encourage you to write down, your salvation did not come because you were confirmed in a certain church. It did not come because you were part of a denomination. It did not come because a priest 
checked you off a list and said, okay, now you're in the church. Your salvation did not come because you were confirmed at one point in your life. Salvation is a gift of God. And what does a gift mean? If it's a gift, it's something not earned. And if it's not earned, you can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. God gives it as a gift through your faith. And so encourage all of you, check and see your motives. Listen to what your friends have to say, your neighbors. If they are basing any of their salvation or relationship in Christ on tradition or by ranking or their religion, then they are doing exactly what Paul did. And he's going to go on to say what that did in his life. He begins, or continues also, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul had displayed unquestionable zeal, persecuting the church. Anyone who questioned his religion of Judaism, he went after, and those were the Christians. So he had zeal, but it didn't, it didn't matter. Since salvation, this leads us to our next point, salvation is not by sincerity, And this is where a lot of people really get hung up. If you go start talking to people today and you ask them what's going to get you into heaven, they're going to talk about maybe the sincerity of their heart. The sincerity of their heart. It's not about the number of prayers you've prayed. It's not about the time that you were in church or the time that you go to church. It's not based on your feelings or your passions. It's not by anything that you can bring out of sincerity. Paul continues in verse 6, As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. His performance was such that those around him could see him and say, He's upheld the law. And Paul could say, I, I have followed the law, the Ten Commandments given. I've obeyed all of them. I want you to see this last point. Salvation is not by legalistic righteousness. You are not in a right standing with God because you try to live a good life. The key word there is you try. Nobody does. And this is what Paul realized. He was trying, and in the world's eyes, he was perfect. But in God's eyes, he realized that he was not perfect. And if I went through the Ten Commandments today and asked you every single one of them, and you were honest in your heart, majority of us have broken almost every single one. If you've ever hated somebody in your heart, the Bible says you've committed murder. That's the one where people are like, well, I'm not a murderer. Well, the Bible says if we break the law in one single place, then we can't inherit the kingdom. We can't become followers of Christ unless he gives us the gift. It's not anything that we do. Some of you might be saying, Casey, it sure sounds like we don't have anything to do with salvation. It sure sounds like we don't even have that much of a part. And I would answer and say, praise God, right? Praise God we don't have anything to do with salvation because, listen, if it was up to me and I had to do something to get it, I wouldn't have it. I'd mess it up, okay? And if you're anything like me, you'd probably mess it up too. And it's something that God has done in us and through us and continually working. I have a quote I want you to listen to about Paul's understanding of this. The Apostle Paul did not come to believe that those things were good, the things we just listed, and Christ was better. Instead, he viewed all of them as bad. They were deadly because they deceived him into thinking he was right with God. False religion deceives the mind and consequently damns the soul. Do you understand what he's saying? 
He's not saying, well, those things are pretty good. Keep trying to do those things and then become a Christian. He's saying, no, all of those things, they give you a false sense of confidence. They're all garbage. Throw them away. Don't put your trust or faith in any of them and follow Christ. I think it very fitting that this week, something Pope Francis says goes exactly into this message. He stated the following, and I want you to listen very carefully. The Bible says that we should call out anything that is false doctrine and call it out clearly. He said this, he stated that non-believers would be forgiven by God if they only followed their conscience. He goes on to say, and I quote, that God's mercy has no limits if you go to him with a sincere There's that sincerity we just talked about, with a sincere and a contrite heart. The issue for those who do not believe in God is they only need to obey their conscience. What is he saying? This is the man who the majority of the world looks to to represent Christianity. And what is he saying we can do to achieve salvation? That would be like me standing before a judge after I just committed horrible crimes and say, I really am truly very sorry. I really am. I have a sincere heart, and I'm never going to do that again. If I've committed the crime, if he's a good judge, is he going to let me walk? No. It's the same thing with God. At the end of this life, the Bible says there's going to come a day where we all stand in judgment to him, and we answer for every single thing we said, we thought, and we did. And you're either going to be innocent or guilty, and there is no going to be pleading your case. And here, we have him saying it's about following your conscience. There's so many things in the quote. I want you to understand the reason I'm bringing this up is because good doctrine and good teaching is hard to find. Don't just take it for granted that good teaching is available anywhere. When you look in Revelations, how many of the seven churches had good theology? Two out of seven in Revelations chapters two and three made it. The rest of them, Jesus said, all of you, you're lukewarm, you have false teaching going in the church, you're deceiving people. There was only two out of seven. And so we need to be very careful. Another thing in his statement is even saying that people don't believe in God. Romans chapter 1 and 2 very clearly say all men have a knowledge of God, but what do they do? They suppress it in their unrighteousness because they don't want to bow their knee to God. So there's no such thing as people who don't believe in God. To even say people who don't believe in God, all they need to do is have a sincere and contrite heart is wrong on so many levels. And so as I continue, understand when you're out in the world and you're hearing things, you have to be alert with your sound doctrine because there is false teaching all over the place and it can wrap us in and it can make us think our salvation is built on something else than Jesus Christ. Just because you are faithful in something does not mean you are right with God. I want all of you to hear this. Just because you've been baptized or you're a member of a church or you give financially doesn't mean you have a right standing with God. All of those things we like to get sometimes gratification for. I can, however, tell you that if people are not giving if people are not attending a church, if people are not loving others, if they are not wanting to go through obedience and baptism, if they are not doing all the things the Bible says you should do, well, then there probably is a spiritual issue going on in their heart, 
right? It's not that those things, baptism, membership, giving, loving others, those things don't produce righteousness. They come out of righteousness. They're a byproduct of your righteousness Christ has given you. And so when you see somebody not doing any of those things and they're claiming to be a Christian, either one, they're not a Christian, or two, they have a sin issue going on and you are called to what? Church, if you love them, you're going to talk with them, right? And this is where we drop the ball, including myself, a lot of times. We see an issue going on with a brother or sister in Christ, and we're like, man, they really have an issue going on. And then what do we do? We're like, That's not, I'm not getting involved in that. That's going to pull me in, and then be hours of talking with them. And the Bible says if you just walk away and you don't talk with them about that, or if somebody's saying something and you just can tell there's a root of bitterness in their heart, the Bible says you don't love them if you don't confront the sin going on in their life. It's because you love them. Because ultimately, listen, it's not a sin with you and them. It's a sin between them and God. And if you love them, you're going to come alongside of them as you would a brother or sister or a father or mother and say, hey, I care about you and there's something in your life that I want us to talk about because I love you. That's what it means to do one another in church. That's what it means to love each other. Continuing on in verse 7, Paul says this, but, he gives this huge list of things, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This is where he completely turns 180 degrees. He gives them this huge list, and his audience is almost drawn in to all the things Paul has done. And they're like, man, this guy has pedigree. Look at where he's from. Look at what he's done. And then he said, but... All of that is garbage. And his audience who's listening to him is hanging on his every words. All of it is garbage. What do you mean? This next statement that we just read in verse 7 is about as businessy as the Bible gets. And it's giving terms of a profit and a loss statement. If you run a company, you know your profit and loss statement. And it's saying this. Paul's saying, what I had in my profit column of righteousness and being a Hebrew and being born of this and following the law... What I was thinking was righteousness actually turned out to be my loss column. And everything he had worked towards in his whole life turned up to be nothing. Something um, my wife and I were reading last night and we're working on trying to spend more time in the Word together. And so we've just decided after dinner, we're going to try to make it a priority. doesn't always happen, but we're going to try to make it a priority to read the Word together after dinner. And we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it just talks about the refining fire that's going to come. And if it sweeps through your life, everything in your life, whatever is built on Christ is going to remain. And whatever is not is going to be destroyed. And it's the same passage. This is what happened to Paul. Everything was destroyed. And that's why he can say, but everything I've worked towards in life is garbage. Except for this one thing, the, the sake of Christ. I want to give you an illustration that goes through this process. This is what happens when you confront somebody with the gospel. And this is why people's hearts are hardened or people fall in love and they become repentant and fall in love with Christ. There's a bricklayer and they're building a house. And they're just laying their last brick on the top row. What if you came to that bricklayer and you said, you know, it, it looks like that last brick you just laid is a little bit off. And they've been working on this months 
years and they're finally laying the last brick, what do you think they're going to do? They, they might be a little frustrated at you. Who is this guy? You know, he's not building this. I'm building this. And, and they might fix it, though. They might step back and see it. And then they might be appreciative. They might not. But what if you went to that same guy and instead of looking at the top row, you start doing this. And you start looking at the bottom row, the very first foundation he laid. And you're looking at that and you're like, you know, I think that the whole foundation is, is off. The whole thing is wrong. What's going to happen to them? Anger, right? They're going to get angry. This is what the gospel does to people. Because it doesn't say the last brick you laid is off. It says the whole thing you've been building in your life is worthless and it's garbage because the foundation you've laid is not built on Jesus Christ. This is why the gospel is offensive to those who are perishing, but it's the gift of God for those who are being saved, as the Bible says. I encourage you, if you want to learn a little bit about evangelism and how to do apologetics, which is some things I just did, we have an upcoming core class that's going to be based on apologetics and evangelism. Core classes are just one thing that we want to encourage you as a church to go to. They're at 945, but apologetics evangelism is going to be one that we're going to be having. They start October 6. So Paul, with his prophet and lost column, he goes on to say that there are five surpassing benefits we have as Christians now. The songs we sang this morning about knowing in our heart Christ. I mean, everything we sang lines up with these, and I'm so grateful to God how he just works all these things out, prepares our heart. So Paul's saying, everything I counted in this life is garbage except for knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. We're going to be looking in verses 8 through 11. He said, indeed, I count everything as loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on, and this is five surpassing benefits that we have access to as Christians. Number one, if you're taking notes, is knowledge. Knowledge. Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This word knowing, it's not just knowing about something. It's actually experiencing. You have experiential knowledge of this because you have personally been involved this is the word Paul uses. It's a surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ that you don't just know about him, you actually know him in a personal way. The New Testament describes Christians as people who know personally Christ. They don't just go to church or know some things about him. I want to go through some of those scriptures. John 10, 14 he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. John 17, 3, and this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God said, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 1 John 520 says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him 
all over the Bible. The Bible talks about how we know personally Christ. This is why you might have heard the question in church, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? You might have heard that question. Or have you been born again? It's because we're talking about a knowledge that is personal. It's not a head knowledge that you had at one time in your life. I want to ask you this morning, in the light of the scriptures that we've just read, do you know experientially by personal involvement, do you know Christ as Lord of your life? And if you can say yes to that, are you living in him, in obedience to him? It's something we need to continually, continually check because our motives and my motives, they continue, they'll point at Christ, and then when I'm not intentional about it, it's always going off some other direction. Something I think is more valuable, and I start building my own kingdom, the things that I find value in rather than the things he finds value in. Scripture says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, very important two words, my Lord. If Jesus Christ is our Lord, what should our lives look like? What should my life look like? That's something we need to continually ask ourselves. Maybe it's you writing down some things you know you need to ask God to work on. Because listen, if you just say, okay, I need to work on this, and then you in your own strength write down these things, you're starting to do what we're battling against. It's not about your flesh and works. It's about coming to God saying, God, I need you to help work in me and give me a desire to do the things of God. It's a dependence on him from the beginning throughout the whole process, and it's a dependence on him to the very, to the very end. I'd like to pray for us in our priorities right now, and then I have some more that I would like to finish teaching on. But I want to take this moment, and for all of us, to just come to God and help allow ourselves to be in alignment in our priorities with Him. So let's pray. God, we're here not just to sit on a Sunday morning out of tradition. God, we're here because we want to know you more. God, may you make yourself continually alive in us more. God, we want to experience you, not that it's about experiencing you or a feeling, but God, we want to know you more. God, we pray that you may help our passions and our priorities to be in alignment in our families, in our marriages, with my priorities, with my wants and desires. God, I pray that when temptation does arise, that in Christ it may be conquered. God, we thank you for this time and allow your Holy Spirit to work in and through us and have your way in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul goes on to share with his audience that he knows Christ as my Lord. When you say you know Christ as Lord, when I see somebody that says, I know Jesus Christ as Lord, but their priorities in their life don't look that way, right? Their priorities in their life don't look that way, and they're living in sin, or they have other things going on. That should be red flags for all of us, and it's a completely ridiculous statement when people say they are, but then there's so many areas that are out of sync, and I have a lot of areas out of sync, 
But if I'm continually in denial that I have those areas, it's an issue. It's an issue. This is why in the New Testament, we see no such thing as a carnal Christian. Somebody who is a Christian, but who is just living in sin continually. The Bible says, those who know me, obey me. Right? And when they don't obey me, they run to me out of repentance when they're confronted with their sin. That should be the desire of our heart. And on a side note, something that our church as a whole, we don't like to do, something none of us like to have, is correction. And I just want to encourage all of you, we as Christians should be running to be corrected. Because we're not doing this for my involvement, right? For my personal gain. I'm doing it to honor Him. And so this is one reason why we submit ourselves in a church is because we all need correction. I need correction. You need correction. And if there is going to be somebody in my life who's going to come and give me the hard sayings and hold me accountable, I should praise those type of people in my life because I need correction. And so I just want to encourage all of us, we need to run to be corrected because we have so many areas. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about glorifying him The only way we see these issues is because we see into the lives of others. That was a little side note, but I felt I was supposed to share it. So I want to keep going. James 4.4 goes on. It just talks about enmity of the world. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. A second surpassing benefit we have as a Christian is this, righteousness. We have righteousness. In verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, as in obeying the law. It's not because I'm following these Ten Commandments, but it's actually a different type of righteousness given to me by Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence in his good works came to a sudden stop when he realized that despite all he had done, he found out it was all worthless. It was short of what God demanded. We need to ask the question, so what does God demand of sinners? What does he demand of you? Well, it's all wrapped up in the word righteousness. God, God's demand for you and for the world is perfection. What does that mean? We can't attain that. But that's what he says, righteousness. Not just obeying the law, I gave you righteousness, but perfect righteousness. The reason that the law was even given was to show us we could never measure up to the law. Revelations twenty-one twenty-seven says this about entering into kingdom without this righteousness. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it speaking of heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Paul had a kind of righteousness. He followed the Ten Commandments, and he followed them well, but it wasn't good enough. And your life, how you're living it, trying to please God by what you do, it's not good enough either. You can't do it, never could, never will. Christ did it for you. That's the whole gospel. And many times when we understand that, we begin to get off again in our life, trying to do it again ourselves. This is why there's so many religions 
where they have a mandatory minimum amount of hours that they have to go knock on doors and evangelize. How many of you have had a door knocked on at your house, right, by these people? All different types. And if you read how they've changed the Bible translations, I've sat down and talked with some of them. Had a great conversation one time at Sonic with some of them. And in there, they they talk about how instead of saved by grace through faith, it's a gift of God. They have, and they've changed their translation. It's saved by grace, a gift from God after all you can do. They've added that in there. So you have to work your hardest. Well, what does that mean? When are you done working your hardest? When can you not do better? And just their mindset, I remember sitting there in Sonic, we finally got to this and they read that to me. I said, well, that's not what's in my Bible. So let me ask you a question. You're here with your friends and you're having a drink. Could you be serving your God right now? Instead, you're enjoying a drink, taking a break. This is not working your hardest. And it's begin like their worldview all of a sudden started crashing down. That's why they're working so hard. We need to be praying. And that's so sad, isn't it? That people are trying to pursue salvation by their works. And here, we as Christians have salvation and we can rest in the knowledge of knowing that I have salvation right now. This should motivate us even more to go share the gospel. But instead, many times we don't do anything. And that's a travesty in the church and it should break our hearts. Because I see other religions and they have a false God and they're trying to earn their salvation, but they're doing a lot more for the name of their God than we are for the name of ours. So I encourage you, if you want to learn how to do some of those things and to be bold in your witness, we have some core classes coming up to do that. And this is, I need encouragement in this too. God's wrecking me in this too. And so this is one way how I'm going to be trying to have him motivate us and get on, get on track with this. I want to read Galatians 3.24. This is a very important verse. It says, So then the law was our guardian. Another translation says, Our schoolmaster until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. What this means is the law, the Ten Commandments, this is what points us to Christ, because we tried to live it out. Another verse says, actually, that God gave us the Ten Commandments, so that we would see that we were going to break them. And it says, where we broke them, that grace increased all the more. Praise God that that has happened. I want to continue moving on. The third benefit of knowing Christ is this, power. We see in verse 10, that I may know him, this is Paul's plea, that I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the dead in the resurrection is the same power that he has given to us to be faithful witnesses to him. And Paul wants to experience this, not for his personal, having a superhero power type issue, but it was to glorify God. Number four, fellowship. Verse 10, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It was Paul's desire to know Christ, to know him and how he lived, and it was consuming to Paul. He wanted to know him, the power of his resurrection. He wanted to share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And five, the last point is this, he wanted glory. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. 
Paul wanted to experience in his own life the type of power Christ had. Because Christ came, and it's always convicting to me, that he came and he's saying, all right, I'm leaving, but what you're going to have is better than me being here in person. And I want you, and I want to experience that in the fullness. Not because it's about happiness in my life, or it's all about me, but I want to be obedient to him. I want his power working in me so much that sin is dying daily in my life. And that's Paul's prayer, that he wants that work of Christ happening in his life, that Christ's crucifixion, that sin is continually to die. Tomorrow, I want more sin destroyed in my life, and there'd be more sanctification in my life because of what I'm pursuing in my relationship with Christ today. I know that's Terry and I's prayer for you. It's our prayer for each other, that we as a church may continue to be growing in obedience to him, that we are allowing him to destroy sin, that we're depending not on our flesh, but on the work of him 